Welcome to our 7 Investing Podcast. My name is Simon Erickson, and we have a very special program tonight. It's going to be focused heavily on pharmaceuticals and drug development. And when it comes to the companies that are publicly traded in this space, they're often on a different schedule than others, because they'll still be reporting quarterly earnings, they'll still be recording revenues and all those quarterly conference calls, but some of the most important information for data for investors rather, is the data that they present about the progress of their clinical trials. We have a very important conference coming up next week, the American Society of Hematology, the ASH conference for short, and I am very fortunate to be joined by my fellow seven investing lead advisors, Manisha Sami and Max Chatsko. They are the resident experts in this space, and we're going to be diving in to that ASH conference. So Manisha and Max, are you all ready to get started? Let's do this. Let's do it. All right, Max, I'm going to start with you first. What, what is the ASH conference? Can you give us a high-level view of what's going on and why this is important out there? Yeah, so hematology is the study of blood. Perhaps you've heard about blood. It's pretty important, right? So uh, <laughs> from, uh, you know, basic biology, whatever, uh, grade school, we know of red blood cells, transports oxygen to all of our tissues. Uh, but a, red blood cells are actually one of the few cell types in your entire body that don't contain your DNA. So when things go wrong uh, with red blood cells for certain diseases, we either go upstream, makes things more complicated for fixing those problems. Uh, but blood, of course, is more things than just red blood cells. There's uh, different immune cells that are circulating to protect us against infection or disease, um, different cellular wastes, right? One of the biggest advances uh, ever, really, in hematology is the development of liquid biopsies, which are very important and uh, popular among investors right now. So that's from detecting very faint signals of circulating tumor DNA uh, to find the presence of, of tumors. And hopefully we can continue to find that uh, earlier on in um, you know, the progression of cancer when it's easier to treat. So ASH is um, this weekend from December 5th to 8th. I guess uh, Manisha says technically it's already started. So I believe <laughs> her. So the point is investors should expect to hear and see a lot of press releases between now and next week uh, with ASH in the title. So it's it's where academic groups, startups, industry leaders, everybody in between, uh, they get together and they present their results from whether it's uh, you know basic research uh, studies or preclinical studies or big clinical trials, uh, and they're they're pushing the field forward. So there's going to be a huge influx of data coming out just uh, in the next week here uh, from all of these clinical trials. So this year the conference is uh, categorized with six different categories. So uh, you can go on the website and look at all of them, but there's a category for regenerative medicine. Uh, one for genome editing and gene therapy, uh, another one for uh, precision medicine this year. So, uh, you know, they kind of just categorize it with all the biggest trends and, and what's going on. Sounds like some pretty exciting stuff going on there, Max. Uh, Manisha, let me transition this to you. We're, we're, this is an investing show. You know, we're doing a podcast about investing. Why is Ash so important for investors out there? You know, Simon, I think uh, right when you first started off, um, you've already answered that question. Uh, so for most traditional companies that are publicly traded, we wait for the earnings calls or some sort of M&A uh, before you see real um, price volatility or changes uh, in the stocks. For these biopharmaceutical companies, everyone is looking at these medical conferences and more than earnings calls, um, this is what investors should be looking at. This is the progress they're making. Are they making any progress? Um, are they not? And not only that, 
with these medical conferences, you actually can compare different companies and look at up and coming companies that might maybe even dis disintermediate some of the public companies. So looking at the data head to head, side by side. And not only that, um, because these conferences are not only um, for companies and clinical trial readouts, you also have basic scientists, and by that I don't mean they're just basic, but they're doing uh, characterizations of biology. How are blood cells transported? How do they interact with different enzymes? So a lot of times these research scientists or large cancer hospitals, for example, they're doing their own research and these companies can network with them. Um, a lot of times, uh, especially with smaller companies or even larger uh, pharmaceutical companies, they'll see data from these large uh, cancer hospitals and then they'll decide, hey, I want to exclusively license this product from them. So you will see a lot of um, pipelines expanding uh, because of this networking that's happening. And uh, based off of that going into the new year, since it is um, traditionally only held in December, uh, you kind of have a glimpse into what we should be expecting more of at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, which happens to be the largest healthcare conference uh, of the year. Well, I've seen you all re refer to this as the Thanksgiving Day Parade of the biotech world and the drug development. It sounds like a really big event, a lot of academic progress that then goes on to commercial uh, opportunities from that too. I'd like to look at some of the companies that, that are on your radars, uh, some of the, the things that you're really most interested in and you'll be going to be watching this next week. Uh, Max, let's start with you. One of the companies you said that you'd be interested in is Fate Therapeutics. What are you watching with this, this company? Yeah, so Fate Therapeutics, I, I own shares, so just to disclose that. Um, but it's a, uh, an, a next generation cell therapy developer. So it's still in the earliest stages of development, but uh, it's really uh, turned some heads among investors and on Wall Street. Uh, it has an absolutely loaded pipeline. So it has over 14 clinical trials, or I'm sorry, 14 assets that are in development right now. Uh, I think eight of those are in clinical trials. So it's making 12 different presentations at ASH this year. So this is for a pretty you know early company. That's pretty impressive. Um, and um, <clears throat> So the uh, impressive thing here is that, you know, it's, it's taking a lot of different shots on goal for next generation cell therapy. So uh, it's working on improving how we manufacture cell therapies. So rather than uh, harvesting cells from patients, and then you have to send those to a lab and you have to separate them and then engineer them and then grow them again and expand them again and then put them back into patients. It's a lot of steps. A lot of things can go wrong. It's very expensive. Um, so the company is working on different technologies that would improve manufacturing, like off the shelf. So if you had cancer, uh, this, you know, a cell therapy might just be available for you to try. You don't have to wait the two or three weeks uh, for the harvesting and engineering steps to take place. Um, it's also working on different types of cells. So not just T cells, which we know of, CAR T, of course, but also working with natural killer cells, uh, which are part of the innate immune system. And they have some inherent advantages uh, over CAR T cells. Um, so, you know, they can be dosed multiple times. Um, they have some advantages potentially in solid tumors in addition to, uh, you know, blood tumors or, or you know, working with uh, uh, cancers of the immune system. Um, so this year, though, you know, the, I, so I own shares. So I've, this has worked in my favor. Um, but the company is right now worth $5.3 billion, which is, I think, maybe, a, you know, from the, the stock market's been going crazy this year, right? We all know that. Um, but I just wonder how much good news has been priced in. Maybe that's a fair valuation for a company that has, you know, 14 different uh, assets in the pipeline. But I wonder how, how much better can it get with ASH data? Maybe it actually could work against the company if the data aren't, uh, 
are what investors or analysts were expecting. And, and there's a ton of competition in this space. So uh, the bar is very high and even like good results could, uh, could send a stock that's already has a lot of good news priced in, maybe uh, down a little bit. So. So what do you think on that, Max? And $5.3 billion, is it overvalued or is this company fated to go even higher? I'm so, I'm like, I tend to be more conservative, I guess, with valuations. And uh, we've had these conversations on Slack. This year has been terrible for me in terms of like how I approach that because everything looks expensive to me, really. But uh, I don't know. Like I said, I mean, it's, I guess we'll see it with Ash. Maybe it'll change my mind. Who knows? But um, I, I think there's a little more risk here with the valuation. So there might be less... Uh, less return available for people who get in at this price. But I've been wrong so far. Who knows? <laughs> Makes sense. And it sounds like they've got a lot of exciting stuff that they're going to be reporting next week. Ticker on Fate Therapeutics, F-A-T-E, appropriately on that one. Uh, Manisha, another therapeutics company, CRISPR Therapeutics is one that's on your radar. What are you watching for CRISPR right now? Sure. So um, I'll also disclose that I own shares of CRISPR Therapeutics. Um, so for those of you who haven't heard about CRISPR, it is a gene editing system, but I'm pretty sure that all of you guys have at least heard the terminology CRISPR. Um, so CRISPR Therapeutics was the last of the three publicly traded pure play CRISPR companies to IPO. That was back in 2016. And they happened to be the first CRISPR company to enter human trials. So they moved pretty quickly. Um, so this is based off of the patents uh, from Emmanuel Charpentier and Jennifer Doudna. Uh, the, both of them won uh, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry for 2020. So very exciting. Um, and I, I mean, honestly, with CRISPR gene editing, it's the most simple way to put it is it's a two-part system. You have your guide RNA that goes uh, and, you know, looks at your genome and attaches to the right part. And then you have a nucleus, which is essentially a scissor function and cuts the DNA and corrects point mutations or um, you know, completely deletes genes that are uh, erroneous or cause disease, or it can take out a gene and replace it with something that uh, is corrective for a disease. Um, so right now, what we're expecting at ASH is uh, based, uh, the first, well, Kind of going back, uh, CRISPR Therapeutics is working uh, on a whole slew of things in regenerative medicine, including diabetes, but sickle cell disease is their front runner, uh, CTX001. So it is addressing sickle cell disease and beta thalassemia. So sickle cell is exactly what it sounds like. Your red blood cells, which should be perfectly round and flow through your blood vessels, it happens to have a sickle shape, uh, beta thalassemia, um, rather than having the circular shape, it looks like a square. Um, and some of the issues that arise from that is it just um, gets restricted in certain blood vessels, causes pain. Um, oftentimes, these patients have to get uh, blood transfusions on average of 10 times a year. Um, they're often going into the ER. So it's a devastating disease. Um, combined, there are about uh, globally 360,000 births um, that, uh, uh, where these uh, babies have sickle cell disease or beta thalassemia. So it's a huge market. Um, that is why previous to CRISPR therapeutics, we've had a number of other gene therapy companies um, addressing sickle cell disease. So for CRISPR therapeutics, we initially received data uh, earlier this June on three patients. Two patients um, were treated for uh, transfusion dependent uh, beta thalassemia and one patient for sickle cell disease. Now, in the abstract that was released for ASH, uh, we'll have data for seven patients. And um, what we can tell from the uh, abstract is that of the five beta thalassemia patients, 
all of them have remained transfusion free uh, since um, getting a, uh, edited by CRISPR's G, uh, CRISPR therapy, CTX001. And both of the sickle cell disease patients, um, they have not had something called VOC. So basically it's extreme pain that results in them going to the ER. Very promising, however, a lot of the data um, that they were presented, uh, it was pretty early on. They submitted the abstracts in August. So by the time um, they present their data in December, we have a good six months of data and durability analysis. So that's very exciting. Um, I think a lot of the good news has been priced in. It's uh, over a $9 billion company. So I completely commiserate here uh, with Max. So I think, I mean, in terms of upside, probably not too much, but I can see a lot of downside if it doesn't meet investor expectations. And Manisha, CRISPR is such a big deal. It's something academically that's been talked about for years, but how exciting and how big of a deal is it now to actually start seeing these human trials taking place, seeing some data from actually how it's working out there? It's extremely exciting. And I think, you know, we've talked about CRISPR a lot uh, in terms of therapeutics, but this, the applications are so large that so you can think about di uh, diagnostic applications. There's applications in just pure research and understanding how genes function. Uh, there's applications in creating enzymes um, or industrial applications. But I mean, right now for therapeutics, we're talking about curative approaches. So it's no longer getting tra blood transfusions every month or every two months. It's here's one, one time you go in for you know, a, um, a transfusion of basically stem cells. So Max was talking about how our red blood cells don't have nucleuses. Um, so what stem cells are, so luckily that does have a nucleus, which means we have our uh, DNA there. So they take stem cells to make the edits. So that stem cell then differentiates and basically populates your red blood cells and then it creates your uh, NK cells that Max was talking about, um, your T cells, and all of you know all those fun cells that make sure that you're healthy. Um, and this is the first uh, piece of data that we're getting in human patients. Um, we have uh, the other two CRISPR companies also in human clinical trials. We're still waiting for data. Uh, one is going after uh, pediatric childhood blindness. Uh, the other is for rare liver disease, and they and that's more um, CRISPR editing in vivo. So they're doing the editing kind of directly in the body. So they just do the injection, and the CRISPR does its magic inside the body. Great. Well, looking forward yeah, so, to seeing what CRISPR. Oh, go ahead, Max. Yeah, I want to stick with that. Let's stick with CRISPR. Um, so those data from CRISPR therapeutics look really good. I know it's still very early, yeah. but you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But let's say let's say that you know um, all the results hold up. And this looks like it's a cure for, you know, beta thalassemia and, and sickle cell disease. Um, is this like the end? Is this like the last treatment we'll ever need for these diseases? Or what, how do companies from here advance on these results? Is it um, making the, you know, um, like bone marrow harvesting easier? Or like, what, what, are, what how did, where do we go from here? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot. Of, I, I don't think this is the end all be all. This is just the first step. Um, you know, I think the next thing is how do we optimize this process, so manufacturing. Um, right now, this is autologous stem cells that are being edited. Is there a way that we can make it off the shelf uh, therapy for these patients to make it even cheaper? Um, so actually at ASH, I did notice that there are a number of abstracts talking about that. So that'll be really interesting uh, to learn more about. Uh, and then you do have other companies, um, you know, there's a different, so CRISPR's say generation, or the first generation of CRISPR editing. There are other editing systems that are 
um, up and coming, and not even up and coming, uh, there are companies that are using variants of CRISPR to also address sickle cell disease. Um, and um, I don't know if I should just go right into it, and maybe I will. Uh, so this is. Okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, I kind of, I guess I led you into your next company that you're watching. So it's uh, related. Why don't you just go into that? Sure. Um, another company that I am invested in, Beam Therapeutics. Uh, so this company uh, IPO'd, I, I believe it was just this year, but uh, it was founded in 2016. So basically uh, the same year that CRISPR IPO'd was the same year um, that uh, base editing was first published in an academic journal. And this year, um, you know, we, we have uh, Beam Therapeutics, they had an IPO, uh, they're over a billion dollars uh, in valuation, but they have nothing in clinical trials right now. So people are actually noticing gene editing as, you know, a, the future of medicine. Um, what we are expecting from ASH is uh, more data from sickle cell disease. So in preclinical trials, so this is um, in animal studies, they were able to um, basically use base editing, and I'll go into kind of how that's different from CRISPR, uh, to activate a gene that uh, basically produces something called fetal hemoglobin. So fetal hemoglobin is um, what babies have. So when you're still, so at birth, um, what we have, so we have adult hemoglobin. So that binds oxygen and oxygenates our body. Fetal hemoglobin has higher binding affinity to oxygen. So basically what scientists have figured out is if you have fetal hemoglobin and if you still have sickle cell disease, as long as you have upwards of 20% of fetal hemoglobin in your body, you basically are asymptomatic and you live a normal life. Uh, so they, so in one of their uh, presentations, they're seeing if with base editing, um, if you tend, if you end up having fewer off-target effects in RNA or DNA. So off-target effects are if you end up, you know, changing the wrong part of your genome, which you don't want to do. And the key difference between CRISPR and base editing is that with base editing, you're not cutting DNA to change it. It's chemically induced. Um, now the parts that are the same is you still have that guide RNA that basically takes you to the, it's kind of an index code, so it takes you to the right part of the, G, uh, the DNA, but rather than cutting that, um, they have something called a deaminase, which chemically kind of changes the structure of one base pair of DNA. And uh, say you have in uh, the letter A, so um, we, so with base, uh, base pairs, we have A, T, G, C. So rather than um, an A, you can end up having a G, and that essentially corrects um, the gene that you have. So you are correcting individual letters. So we're looking at that. Um, people say that it's more specific and potentially safer. So they're providing information on one, can they actually do that? It looks like they can. Uh, and two, uh, they say they didn't see any off-target effects. So uh, I think once they do present that data, we'll be able to see if um, the mechanisms through which they tried to identify any uh, off-target effects was sufficient enough. Um, either way, I think people are looking at both companies. Um, to me, I will say preliminarily, uh, it looks like it works. So it's just a matter of, you know, which one works better in which kind of uh, environment for cancers and especially in uh, hematologic cancers. Yeah, base editing seems like a more ideal form of, uh, well, I guess it's not gene editing, but uh, a way to engineer genomes or genes. I don't, I don't know what words. People get mad when you start calling it gene editing. Right. Um, but 
Yeah, Beam Therapeutics has been crazy lately. So it's actually valued at $3.3 billion. It's almost doubled in November. <laughs> it's uh, So maybe a lot of this uh, enthusiasm for Ash is already kind of maybe priced in. But. Right. And $3.3 billion for a company that is not even in human trials, I will say that's pretty remarkable. A bit scary, I'd say. <laughs> The idea is, though, Benicia, that it would be potentially safer and more precise than some of the other CRISPR gene editing technologies that are out there right now. Yes, that is the thinking. And the way I see it is a lot of people are thinking that, you know, either CRISPR will win or it will be base editing. And then there's another type of editing called prime editing, which I won't get to, uh, go into. But if I were to get super geeky and nerdy here, each has their advantages and disadvantages. Um, there's something called a pro, uh, protospacer adjacent motif. So basically there has to be a certain sequence of ge uh, uh, genetic DNA or, uh, in your genome. So you can't just edit anywhere willy nilly. It's you have to have say uh, three G's in a row or two G's in a row before you can actually make that edit. So where uh, areas of the genome that's amenable to CRISPR may not be uh, amenable to base editing, which may not be amenable to prime editing. So really all of these techn uh, technologies and editing systems, they're complementary. So there will be multiple winners in my opinion. And that's how you have these companies popping up. Well, for anyone listening to this podcast, uh, to clarify, we are not geeking out and getting too nerdy here tonight. We're just talking about drug development genomics, right? It's after hours, but we're having a good time. And also, I think it hopefully is very clear that we've got the right advisors on the case for following the upcoming conference, a wealth of knowledge here. Max, bring us home with one more company that you're watching. This one is Adaptive Biotechnology. This is a diagnostic company. What's on your radar with this one? Yeah, so Adaptive Biotechnologies. Uh, again, it's also kind of uh, trading at a pretty big premium. It's over $6 billion, only has one product on the market. I think uh, maybe $90 million in revenue in the last 12 months. So uh, pretty, pretty trading at a pretty high premium. But it's got a, a pretty interesting technology platform, right? So um, I mentioned at the beginning, liquid biopsies. So those are where we're trying to de uh, detect faint signals of circulating tumor DNA. Uh, so those are uh, little strands and fragments of DNA that are shed by cancerous tumors. We can pick those up that are circulating in your blood and say, hey, wow, look, you have cancer, um, even though we, maybe we can't see it with other tests or you don't have any symptoms yet. So Adaptive Biotechnologies is developing a technology platform for detecting uh, various things, not necessarily just cancer, but uh, evidence of disease um, at, at earlier stages uh, in, in, you know, before you have symptoms or um, after you have the disease and have it cleared. So it has its first product called Clonosec, and uh, this is used to detect uh, and monitor something called minimal residual disease, MRD. It's actually becoming a very important um, uh, metric for uh, various blood cancers. So if you have a, let's say, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or something, uh, a type of white blood cancer, um, and then you, you, know, you get treatment and it gets cleared and you're in remission, you still have to go to your doctor and get follow-up. Um, so this test, Clonosec, actually is a simple blood test and we can detect uh, whether or not you're, you know, in the early stages of your cancer coming back. Uh, so it really helps to um, change the treatment paradigm and we can, you know, get patients back into treatment sooner uh, before their cancer occurs. So we can potentially keep them cancer free or, um, you know, have them have long, healthy lives. Um, so the company has, the company itself is not presenting at ASH, I don't believe, but it's product, Clonosec, is going to be involved in 37 different ASH presentations. So you can see with Fate and with Adaptive, Simon, I'm going with volume here at ASH. Okay, wow. I just want, 
the people who are taking over the floor. Um, so, you know, and this is uh, this is good for adaptive biotechnologies. It's, uh, it shows that their their products gaining traction. Shows that MRD is an important metric, and it also uh, will help to build out the rest of the company's platform. You know, it's looking at different diagnostics for like Lyme disease, for instance, uh, various types of cancers. It also has a drug pipeline that it's uh, still in the early stages, um, but um, you know that's coming as well. So it has these like three different pipelines, two two of which are diagnostics, one of which are are drug candidates. Uh, so it's an interesting company to watch. It's also partnered with Microsoft, which is uh, how it's kind of using uh, as the backbone of its data mining and mapping uh, technology platform. So pretty interesting. I've heard of that Microsoft company a time or two, Max. Uh, you know, just in general, liquid biopsies and diagnostics, and, and it's a competitive space. There's a lot of awesome stuff going on in this space. Is this just a race to who can detect more biomarkers or is there a way to differentiate or how do you make sense of all the companies that are competing in this space right now? Yeah, so we should probably talk about that in another podcast, I think. But um, yeah, it's kind of like Manisha said with CRISPR, right? There's different types of CRISPR tools, right? There's gene editing, there's base editing, there's prime editing. Uh, and they all have a place in, you know, in, in healthcare and therapeutics. Uh, same thing here, you know, it's, I don't think, I think uh, investors tend to maybe see liquid biopsies and they think they're all the same. And that's not at all true, right? Personalis does something different than Garden Health, which does something different than Thrive Detection, which just got acquired by Exact Sciences does something different than um, what was the company that uh, Illumina just bought? What was that? Braille. Braille. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I forgot. Um, yeah. So they all have like their different advantages, disadvantages and, you know, adaptive biotechnology, same thing. It's just a matter of what data are you throwing into your, you know, training algorithms and, and what are you getting out? So I would say it's competitive and it's new, but it's, it's brand new. So it's not like you have to displace existing incumbents necessarily. Um, this market's going to grow very fast. It's going to be a very large market. So there's going to be a lot of winners and a lot of big companies. That's great, Max. So just to recap those four companies that, that Manisha and Max mentioned, Fate Therapeutics, ticker is F-A-T-E, CRISPR Therapeutics, C-R-S-P, Beam Therapeutics, B-E-A-M, and then Adaptive Biotechnologies, A-D-P-T. Max, you were mentioning about a lot of new stuff being presented at ASH. Uh, one of the advantages, I think, of this conference is finding those under-the-radar companies we just never heard of before and they wow us. They, they impressed us with something we didn't even know they were working on before. Can you give us kind of an example of, of how that can look when successful data gets presented, what the aftermath of that can, can look like? Yeah, so ASH is great. I mean, I always look to ASH as it's like the end of the year, right? It's always in December and I know I'm going to pick up like two, three, four companies, add them to my watch list before the end of the year. And there's companies I, I don't know of. Like right now, I don't know these companies and next week they're going to be on my watch list. That's pretty exciting, right? So a couple of examples just from last year. So we, there was a company called 47. I never heard of it before. Uh, it was valued at about $700 million right before ASH. So about a year ago. Uh, and then it um, released data on its uh, acute myeloid leukemia, AML uh, drug. And this drug addressed uh, a population that was completely really like underserved. Uh, it was almost 75% of patients that have this cancer. Uh, and they had a complete response rate, meaning they put uh, people into remission, it was over 55%. So it just kind of came out of nowhere. and was like, yeah, we've kind of like really moved the needle here on this. Um, so they presented great data. They had some follow-up data earlier this year in 2020. And then I think it was March, Gilead Sciences came in and took them out, bought them for $4.9 billion. So, you know, that's a, what, 600% in six months or something. And nobody, I didn't even hear about it like until Ash last year. So 
that's pretty, pretty cool. Um, another example, just real quick, TG Therapeutics. So that company's had some, some problems in the past, right? It's been around for a little bit, uh, but they announced some promising data in various types of uh, blood cancers. So they had a, a double combination therapy and then a triple combination therapy, each of which uh, had some very impressive data, uh, depending on how you slice the different types of uh, lymphomas that they were looking at. They had uh, overall response rates and even complete response rates of 100%. So it's like unheard of, right? They were basically like curing this, these types of cancers. Uh, their stock actually didn't move at all on that data last year from ASH, which I thought was weird. But year to date, just to look right now, it's up 144% that stock. So um, a good example that maybe sometimes, I don't know about this year because the stock market's crazy, but maybe you can buy some of these stocks if the data are good and you do your homework and, and you can still you know, enjoy a nice return even after the pop. It's a good way to, uh, to get some good companies in, in your watch list at the very least. Yeah, it makes sense on why we want to pay so much attention to this conference. And Manisha, maybe as one final segment we can talk about, Max, you talked about doing your homework. A lot of the homework that you're doing is really, really early stage. Uh, stuff is really early in the pipeline. Are there some abstracts being presented this year that are of interest to you earlier in the pipeline? Sure. Um, so I will start off with saying, so I looked through kind of the different types of abstracts or the therapies um, and kind of which buckets they were uh, falling under. So there are over 2000 abstracts that are presented. And clearly I read all 2000, right? Um, so no, I did not. Um, but what I noticed, which was really interesting is uh, you have Keytruda and Opdivo. So these are huge uh, multi-billion dollar drugs. Um, and these are based off of checkpoint inhibitors. This year, there's only 3%, actually 4.5% of abstracts based on checkpoint inhibitors, which tells me that uh, new and up and coming companies, they're moving on, checkpoint inhibitors are things of the past, and there are new technologies and things to look at. Um, so we are still looking, uh, so the majority of abstracts are based on antibodies, um, and then immunotherapies. So uh, Max mentioned earlier, CAR-T therapies. So we're past first generation, so even though Gilead, um, so uh, Kite, uh, Gilead, so Kite's a Gilead company now, um, so they're presenting new uh, information, uh, probably the same old stuff, similar pipeline. But what's really interesting is that 12% of the abstracts, so the second largest kind of cohort, is still based on cars and um, not the automobile, car T therapies. Um, and we're seeing second generation, third generation, more and more, so rather than autologous, so it's not you know a patient-derived source of T cells, we're seeing off-the-shelf T cells. We're also seeing actually... Um, you know, uh, Max, you mentioned earlier how you can redose with, uh, so fate therapeutics, uh, natural killer cells. Um, there's a lot of abstracts talking about using a combination of natural killer cells with CAR-T. I think that's very early on and redosing with that. I think that's very interesting. We don't have any clinical trials um, kind of use or doing a combo therapy, but that's something I'm keeping an eye on. Um, I'm really excited to see what the data shows for those. Um, and then overall, just looking at the regenerative medicine space, um, that is looking at stem cells. It's really, it's a really an exciting um, area for me. Uh, I used to work with stem cells, but it halted. Um, it's really difficult to work with stem cells. Um, so we've seen kind of procedurally, you know, how can we actually best, which techniques are the best to use stem cells um, and kind of get the most out of regenerative medicine. And I think that's going to be um, maybe not 2020 ash, but perhaps 2021 ash, we'll see more of that. So keeping an eye on, on that. 
Well, Manisha, I love that you've described healthcare in general as a giant puzzle, and there's always pieces that are being fit together. It sounds like this upcoming ASH conference is another opportunity for us to learn more about those technologies that are early in the stages, uh, for us to look at some of those companies that are going to make a splash we've never heard of before, and also get some updates from those that are publicly traded and already have some drugs that are on our radar. Uh, Manisha and Max, thank you both very much for your insights about the upcoming ASH conference next week. Thank you. Absolutely. And we'll continue to follow up on what our takeaways from the ASH conference are a little bit later in the month. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of our 7 Investing podcast. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7 Investing. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.